0: Such an awesome privilege to be in the first service of year five of the life of this ministry. Let's give the Lord a big hand. A big, big hand. Big, big hand. Our very first service, official service after the dedication was on 1st of September 2013. And ever since that year, every first Sunday of September marks our first service in the new year. And so we want to thank God indeed. We, are, we have been having a journey of looking at our vision objectives uh, since the month of May, June, then July, August. And uh, we thank God that as we've come into the months of September and October, we are privileged again to revisit our season of purpose. But particularly, we are themed this time the covenant season of purposeful kingdom lifestyle, and I want to thank God because what God wants to do with us now is to understand first his purpose for us and then his his purpose for our lives and then his divine intention for us in fulfilling that purpose on earth. Great servant of God, Miles Monroe, as I've quoted to you many times, would always say that when purpose is unknown, abuse will be inevitable. When you don't know the use of a thing, you abuse it. If a person don't know the value of their own life, they abuse it. The people who take their lives and do things, it's not because they want to, it's just because they've come to a point in life where somehow the devil has managed to steal away their purpose and they no longer see an essence of their lives. And so may the Lord continue to help us to be established in his divine purposes for our lives in the name of Jesus. So we're going to be using this banner in the course of this um, meeting. I don't know if the banner is loaded. Thank you very much. We're going to be looking at four different things in the course of the meeting in the course of our uh, discussions in the four weeks in September. And we will be particularly in Romans chapter 8 verse 29 where the Bible talks to us and tells us particularly about uh, the intention of God who foreknew us, the intention of God, who predestined us, the intention of God, who predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, and also the intention of God, who said we should share the inheritance with that son. So the four weeks that are in September will help us to look in details about those mysteries. So we shall be looking at the mystery, say with me, the mystery of foreknowledge, say the mystery of predestination say with me the mystery of conformity or the mystery of conformity to the image of his son and we shall also be looking at the ministry uh, the mystery of joint inheritance say the mystery of joint inheritance All those things are in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, and so we will have a banner that lists out the four mysteries, and on week to week, we will have them highlighted as we go along. Praise the Lord. I want to quickly say, mysteries are God's secrets. Every time you hear the word mystery, it is referring to the things that belong to God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us that the secret things belong to God. They are his properties. But as he wills, he reveals to us. That's why uh, Daniel said to King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, verse 28, he said, The Lord has chosen to reveal this secret unto you, O king. The Lord chooses from time to time. Yes, that's banner, Thank you. The Lord chooses from time to time to reveal these secrets to us. And when we have an understanding of any secret, what happens is that it allows us to actually come into a place where we are able to uh, appreciate what God wants to do. So these four things will be our journey this week, uh, this month, and you'll be seeing that banner basically like that for the whole of the month, just highlighting the different things we're doing. Every revealed mystery, according to Colossians 1, 27, every revealed mystery, the Bible says, is Christ in us, which gives us the hope of glory. So from time to time, God enables us to have revelation through his word. Jesus Christ, the word of God, is revealed to us. And like a great servant of God said, the principles, the life of Jesus teaches us about heaven, but his principles teaches us about how to live here on earth. Jesus enables us. He is the one that helps us to unravel the mystery, both of heaven and both of earth. He, was the, he is the connector. That's why when he taught how to pray, he said, you pray like this. Our Father, who art where? In heaven. Hallowed be your name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he said, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so god's purpose of giving us jesus is to link heaven to earth and to link us through to give us a, an access through that link to god's divine and eternal purpose and eternal plans so the mysteries of foreknowledge predestination and godly conformity and joint inheritance are very important for us to understand that's why when paul wrote this letter to the romans he said that this is what God has done. He has foreknown us, as we'll soon read. And by that foreknowledge, he has given us a predestination. He has allowed us to be defined in terms of where we are going and where we ought to end by God's divine intentions. And that by reason of that, we have the opportunity to also godly conform or to conform to the godliness that is in Christ Jesus, so that we can share of his joint inheritance, both here on earth and in heaven. And so I want you to be uh, fully studious in this time. This is a very, very deep message. That is why it is a mystery. But as God will be helping us, he will be opening our eyes to see the things that we ought to see so that we can make good progress in the mighty name of Jesus. So when we talk about foreknowledge, which is our first emphasis today, when we talk about foreknowledge, what we are talking about is about two things. The first one is what most people concentrate on because the word knowledge simply means information, acquiring information. And so many people see foreknowledge only in the realm of God who is omniscient, who knows everything, who has all information. Whilst that is true, he is all-knowing, he has a preeminence that puts him in a class all by himself. Isaiah 46 Let's read verse 9 and verse 10. He said, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Somebody say, There is none like him. None like him. Say, he is, God, he is God and there is no other. Is no say, He is God, he is God. and there is, like there is none like him. Let's read verse 10 together. This is what makes him unique. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Say he will do all his pleasure. Say God will keep doing all his pleasure. Now that is part of his foreknowledge. He declares the end from the beginning. He knows everything. He knows you. He said to Jeremiah... And we will be using some of these illustrations as we look at foreknowledge, predestination, all of them because they are all linked together, they are one. We look at life of a person like Jeremiah. He said, before you were formed in the womb, Jeremiah 1.5, he said, I knew you and ordained you. That is to say, I foreknew you, I predestined you, and then he began to say how he was going to conform. To the image of Christ, as it were, by reason of what he was going to do, to be a prophet to the nations, which is the image that Christ also has, to be the savior of the world, and so on. But what we need to understand is that this puts God in a class all by himself. But when we read Romans chapter 8, verse 29, which again, as I say, we'll read shortly, the foreknowledge that is referred to does not just mean God knowing everything. Now, this has been a subject of controversy for many years in the body of Christ. Many people have said if God knows everything and he knows everything indeed, why would he have created Satan? Why would he have allowed Satan to fall? Why would he have done this and why would he have allowed that? You see, God knows everything and he knew exactly that there is no accidents with him. Every event of history is no news to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. His grand master plan. Now, you, and you need to follow me now because, as I said to you, these are deep things which would need your attention and your writing down of scriptures. Now, God knows everything, and that is why his grand master plan from the foundation of the world was to give us an opportunity to walk in the fullness of all that he has desired even before we were formed and before we were born. Hallelujah. So when we talk about his foreknowledge, the first thing is that it refers to his omniscience, which is his all-knowing person. But the second thing which I want us to concentrate on today is the fact that it also refers to his eternal love. The word knowledge in the scripture means is used to typify one of two things per time, either referring to the standard information that is acquired or it's also referring to Conjugal love is referring to a deep relationship, a relationship that exists in a covenant, usually a marriage covenant. And so God's eternal love for mankind existed before the foundation of the world. And that is why when the Bible was going to illustrate what happened between Adam and Eve, that word no was used to explain the kind of love and the kind of intimacy and interaction that existed between them before they had their first child. Genesis chapter four, verse one. The Bible says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife. It's talking about a relationship that is conjugal, deep, intense, relationship of the highest order between two people. The Bible says, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, is not talking about a foreknowledge of knowing that this is a woman called Eve. Because he's already said that in Genesis 2.15. The Bible says he already looked at Eve. When God formed Eve, he, he woke up and from that deep sleep that God put him. And he said, oh, you are the flesh of my flesh. He knew her as the flesh of his flesh. He knew her as the bone of his bone. And he knew that her name would be Eve. And he, sorry, her name would be Woman because she came out of. He knows that. That was a knowledge that Adam had. So, but Genesis 4 1 is not talking about that kind of knowledge. It's talking about the relationship, the intimate relationship that came between them of a conjugal nature to give them the opportunity to conceive, to bring forth seed and bear Cain. And the Bible says. He said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. The woman said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. So God's eternal plan from the foundation of the world is that everyone be betrothed in this spiritual marriage to Jesus Christ, his son. Hallelujah. Let's read what Paul said in Ephesians 1, which you have read before. We're going to be reading Ephesians 1, verse 1 to 14 a lot in the next few weeks because it contains a lot of what Paul was expanding in terms of these mysteries. Verse one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse two, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read verse three together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Let's read verse 4. Just as he chose us in him. When? Before the foundation of the world. That we should. Now I want you to notice the word should. That is where we need to now understand the conditionalities. Of foreknowledge, that we should go on be holy and without blame before Him in what in love. So His foreknowledge was His eternal love that has allowed us to be chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. You see, the word chosen again in many schools of thoughts and in the in in theological sectors have. In many cases, being misunderstood, people have spoken of what they call divine election, which means that God chooses certain people and they use scriptures like, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, out of context to mean that God definitely chooses certain people and he rejects certain people. But scriptures makes us to understand that God does not select anyone for perdition. Only those who choose to go the way of perdition end up in perdition. God chose us, the whole world, in him, before the foundation of the world. So when we are being born into the world, we are already born into that divine marriage, but we have to come to a place where we, by ourselves, just like you have at the altar, you have the husband, the groom, usually waiting for the bride as she's coming through. How many people know that as, as ready as that groom is with his ring and his ring bearer waiting by the altar, if the bride does not make it to the groom to go and take those vows that say from today I honor you with my body and my soul and all those, uh, those vows that are given, do you know that there can never be a marriage? How many people agree with what I'm saying? Now, the intention of the groom is set. They've paid for everything. The clergyman is waiting. In this case, the Holy Spirit, the seal of promise, is waiting to do that relationship that has been ordained from the foundation of the world with the groom has been prepared by laying down his life we know that Jesus Christ is the groom because the bible tells us in ephesians chapter 5 verse 27 let's quickly look at that because the whole essence ephesians 5:27 this is also Paul's writing he said that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be what again holy and without blemish. If you go just from verse 26, it says that husband love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That is Christ stood in the principle of foreknowledge. He gave himself and he said it is finished in John 19.30. But what he did in Ephesians 5, according to the Bible in Ephesians 5.26 is that he gave himself and is waiting for the bride. And what God is saying is that his foreknowledge of you and I is his eternal love that has already been shed abroad. That his desire is to present her, you and I are the her, the bride, the church, a glorious church in our royal apparels to present us to him as the husband man and that we should be without Uh, blemish. We should be holy and be without blemish. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. Why do we need to understand this? Many times this scripture is again one of those that we use to teach on the second coming of Christ. Because the ultimate fulfillment of this scripture is the marriage supper of the Lamb, which will happen after Jesus comes the second time and he comes to take the church, which we have described and understood many times by scripture as what we call the rapture of the saints. At that point, we are taken to actually physically manifest this. But before that time, there is a journey of marriages of our souls knitted to Christ. This is where we come to the Lord and we give our lives to Christ so that we can become part of that church that is being transformed, that is being renewed in the full knowledge of God to help us to be a people who will become glorious and a people who will have no spot or wrinkle or any such thing when he appears. May the Lord continue to establish us in this divine purpose. In the name of Jesus. You see, when we understand ourselves as the bride of Christ, There is a different way we live our lives. Our purpose on earth is understood very differently. When a woman is married, there is a thing that changes about her. No matter how long she's been in the place of engagement, the day she becomes the official wife of the person she's married to, Everything about her life changes. Her name changes. Her status changes. People address her and should address her differently. They won't just address her as a single person. They will address her as the wife of a person. And many times, the descriptions about her is always tied to that person. Hallelujah. They will say, do you know sister so, so, and so? Say, I don't really know her. The next thing they will say is "Is the wife Of Mr. So, so and so. Because that person has been betrothed. And you and I have our change of identity when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. We become joint heirs with him. We become partakers of the same heavenly kingdom with him. And at the same time, we begin to take on the beauty and the glory that he has as joint inheritance. Hallelujah. So... But we need to understand if this is the case, if God so loved the world and everyone is in the foreknowledge of God to be loved by God, why is it that there are unbelievers? Why is it that there are still people who are yet to give their lives to Jesus? Let's look at John chapter 3. I want to quickly say before we read verse 13 to verse 21, I want to quickly say that whilst the love of God, The eternal love of God is unconditional at the point of its release. It is purely conditional at the point of its acceptance. I'll say that again. The love of God is unconditional at the point of its release. He releases it unconditionally. As we will see in the, in the, in the words of Jesus Christ. But there is a condition... At the point of the acceptance, you and I, because we are designed by God to have a free will and the ability to choose between good and evil, right and wrong, you and I must understand that we can resist the fulfillment of the condition even at that point. May the Lord continue to help us to fulfill the condition right in the name of Jesus. Now look at what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 13. He said, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, talking about himself. He said, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Now notice he didn't say who was in heaven. So I said to you again that Jesus in his manifestation here on earth is the link, the eternal link between heaven and on earth. Because he is the only one who lived fully as the son of God and as the son of man while he was here. Praise the Lord. He said the son of man who came down from heaven, who is the son of man who is in heaven. Do you see that? He said no one has ascended to heaven but he who came down. Normally if somebody has come down, he has left a place. But he said he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man. Who is in heaven? If he was trying to say that he is the son of man that was in heaven and he came down, he would have said he came down and is the son of man who was in heaven. So he never left heaven, even though he was fully here on earth. That is why we call him the son of God and the son of man. Praise the Lord. He exists in the two realms. He existed in the two realms. Every other human being on this earth lives here on earth and then is translated into heaven. No matter who they are, including all the apostles that we know, they lived here physically on earth, engaged with the kingdom, became kingdom citizens here on earth like you and I, but at the same time become heaven citizens only by virtue of the translation that we have here on earth. But Jesus Christ, the Bible says, he lived in heaven, he is in heaven, and he came down also from heaven. But look at the conditions for the acceptance from verse 14. And as Moses, read it with me, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must, somebody say must. must, even so must the son of man be lifted up. We see one of the first conditions that can deter the acceptance of man on this marriage, this spiritual Marriage that God has ordained from the foundation of the earth. If man in any country, in any nation, in any church, in any group refuse to lift up the son of man, the condition cannot be fulfilled. So the first thing is that the church and the body of Christ and the world must accept the lifted up son of man. And then the Bible says in verse 15, let's read that together. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. After he's lifted up, there must be faith expressed in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We all know verse 16 very well. Which talks about the foreknowledge of God from the foundation of the earth. Verse 16 assures us that God did not leave anybody out. Let's read it again. For God so loved the world, not parts of the world, not some people in the world. He so loved the world, hallelujah, that he gave what? His only begotten son that, you see the word again, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? That the world through him might be what? This is the reason why Jesus came. He did not come to condemn you and I. He did not come to condemn anybody. But the Bible says he came so that through him you and I will be saved. God so loved the world, verse 16. Verse 17 says, but that the world, that same world that is loved has the avenue to be saved, to be married unto the son, to consummate that for known marital bliss, that relationship, that deep uh, uh, spiritual marriage, to consummate it. We as a people in the world, need to come through Jesus and be saved. The work of Jesus is not to condemn the world. This is why when that woman was caught in adultery, in John chapter eight, the Bible says people were about to stone her and we know the story when they could not because Jesus said whoever was without sin should be the one to throw the first stone and everybody dropped their stones and they went away. And Jesus now looked up And said to her, he said, has no one condemned you? She said, none, Lord. And Jesus said the very profound thing that links this verse. He said, neither do I condemn you. But do what? Go and sin no more. Because for you to follow me, for you to be married to me, you must be a person who is committed to living a holy life and who is living without blame. May the Lord continue to establish his truth in us. In the name of Jesus. Verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is what? Condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Hallelujah. Verse 19 says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Jesus said, this is my love, take it. God said, this is my love, take it. My son lays down his life for you. He is light, embrace him. But the Bible says men loved darkness rather than light. Some would say man's choice. So when people talk about God as the initiator of evil, and allowing and permitting evil, men must step back and understand what God has done. God is righteous. He is holy. He has released his love to mankind. But every man, every person has a choice to make in loving the light rather than the darkness so that we don't conform to those who are going for condemnation while they love the darkness rather than the light. The Bible says when we walk in that light when we love that light, there is therefore now no condemnation for us because we are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, verse 20, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Say with me, everyone practicing, everyone professing, everyone doing, everyone engaging. Everyone practicing evil hates the light. The Bible says that we cannot love the world and love God at the same time. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. So we must understand the purpose of God and this is a message not so much on the sanctification side of things because I know we deal with sanctification quite a lot but it's not so much on the sanctification quite of things, side of things but much more for us to see the purpose of God. That with God there are no errors. He so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is his purpose for you and I and may we continue to live in the fullness of it. In the name of Jesus. Let's read verse 21 together. But he who does the truth comes to the light, lest that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Somebody say, he who does the truth. truth. Say, he who practices the truth. truth. This is why we need to understand the place of what we profess, what we practice. Hallelujah. That is why when we are doctors, we say our profession is medicine. We are doctors. We profess what we practice and practice what we profess. They come together. So when you do the truth, you are a professor of the faith. Hallelujah. When you do evil, you are a professor of wickedness, of darkness. So when somebody says that our faith, our, our salvation must not be based on works, they need to balance it. We don't work our way up to God. Nobody can earn salvation by any kind of work. No kind of morality can give you what Jesus did. Jesus used his life to pay for it. He is the only one who lived on earth and lived in heaven at the same time. And he laid down his life so that you and I can be saved. That is the only way. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other except by the name Jesus. Hallelujah. So it is the only name whereby men can be saved but men must understand that at the point of salvation we take on a responsibility to keep doing the truth. To keep professing the truth so that we can come to the light. Hallelujah. That's why I said to you that the mystery of foreknowledge is deeper than just saying that God knows all things. God knows your frailty. Yes he does. Yes he does. He knows your weaknesses. Yes, he does. But what is he asking you to do? He knows your labor. He knows your pain. Yes, he does. But he still asks you for a relationship to come unto him as you are laboring and are heavy laden so that he can give you his rest. He demands relationship. He wants you to pray. He said, When you pray, say. He wants you to pray. He wants you to gather with the saints. He wants you to do all these things because they help you to do the truth so that you can keep coming to the light. He says study to show yourself approved. He wants you to study. If he knows everything and he, you've come to him and all you needed to do was to come to him, he would have put in you straight everything that he knows so that you don't have to study again. But there will be no relationship. The reason we are able to have relationship is because there is work In quote involved. There is commitment involved. Every kind of relationship requires that kind of commitment. When you are in a workplace, you have a relationship with your employment and your employers, and if you are in business, you have a relationship with those people. There is a commitment to make things happen for profiting to exist. In a marriage, is the same thing. There is a commitment on both parties so that everything can coexist in God and by God. Praise the Lord. And so it is in spiritual matters. Say with me, Lord, help me to keep doing the truth so as to come to the light. The Bible says that life is the light of men. That life is the light of man. When a man is lighted, life becomes easier. When a man is lighted, life is lived in confidence and assurance. The Bible says the entrance of the word of God gives light. The entrance of the word of God gives light. The word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path because the difference in this dark world that will mark those who have taken the privilege of foreknowledge and have responded positively. The difference between them and those who are in the world is because they are walking in the light. And so he said, arise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Hallelujah. God's divine desire is that you and I be practitioners of the truth so that we keep coming to that light. Hallelujah. His mercy and grace makes all this possible so that we can all embrace it. We all know from Ephesians chapter 2, we don't have time to read it now, verse 1 to verse 8, but let's read particularly verse 4. He said, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love towards which he loved us. But God, say with me, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love Which he loved me. Look at the word love there. It's past tense. It happened before he had loved you before you were even born. No man on earth can love like that. No man. We love by discovery in our natural realms. As we find people, how many of you at age five, those of you who are married, how many of you at age five or age ten? just loved your wife. You just saw her and loved her like that. You have no capacity for it. (laughs) But God loved us. Look at verse 5. So much so that that love was there. Even, let's read it together. Even when we were what? Dead in trespasses. That grace, that mercy made us alive together with who? With Christ. Because by grace we have been saved. and verse six says, he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So this foreknowledge is rich. God's foreknowledge of you and I is so that we can walk in that light and the fullness of the assurance that we are sat together with Christ. Verse 7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So as life progresses, we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. So this chosen, this selection is simply on the basis of your response and my response. God does not look at people and say, you, you are damned forever. You cannot be chosen. He looks at people who come to him sincerely and then they become the elect. They become the called out ones. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When people say, Romans 9, say Esau, I've loved Jacob, I've hate. Go and read the end of Esau. Then you know that God did not hate Esau in the way people are saying he hated him. (laughs) <laughs> He's just saying that there is a divine order whereby Jacob was marked for a hereditary blessing, a, gen- a genetical blessing, a-, a generational blessing that was to come from the stock of Abraham, Isaac, and it comes only through one man. So God in his own wisdom knows who that man is. Hallelujah. We all talk about David and Bathsheba and David and Bathsheba and how this and that. Do you know that David and Bathsheba produced Solomon? He produced Solomon. And so we need to understand that when God has his own way of doing everything, what we need to do is to keep aligning that in the ages to come, he will keep showing the exceeding riches of that grace in and through our lives. And so shall it continue to be. In the name of Jesus. You and I have no capacity to love him. But he first loved us so that we can love him. When we accept by grace, First John chapter 4 verse 17 tells us that love has been perfected among us is in this. That we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Hebrews 4.16 says we can have that boldness to keep coming. This boldness is not, imagine the the boldness as, you know, it may sound from the literal translation that we have boldness in the day of judgment. And then people think about the great white throne judgment that we just, that is the day we will have the boldness to stand. That is the ultimate of it. You will stand uncondemned, stand ready to go into heaven fully, finally, because you know that the blood of Jesus has cleansed you and has made a way for you. But I want you to know that there are preceding judgments. That's why the Bible talks about mercy triumphing over judgment. There is a judgment that the enemy, the accuser, wants to give you on a daily basis. Telling you that you are wrong. Telling you of your past telling you of your weaknesses and making sure that you keep living that life that is always accused by him. The Bible says that that love has been perfected among us that at such times we can even still stand and have boldness and say, Lord, let your mercy prevail. Blind Bartimaeus was already judged by man not to be qualified for a healing. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They shouted him down. They said, he's not looking for somebody like you. The Bible says he shouted the more In understanding that this is the son of Jesse. This is the son of inheritance. Deep revelation. He knew he was. He was foreloved. He knew that there was a foreknowledge about him. Also being a part of those who were to obtain mercy. He said have mercy on me. And the Bible says Jesus stopped. Because that's why he came. He has come to show you mercy. I say he has come to show you mercy. From today, no intimidation of the devil will keep you down anymore. In the name of Jesus, you will be walking in the fullness of boldness all the days of your life. In the name of Jesus, this relationship is so important. Verse 18 says, There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves what? Fear involves torment. The devil always does what he wants to do to keep people in torment, to make people afraid, afraid of tomorrow, afraid of things, afraid of heights, afraid of the night, whatever kind of fear. But the Bible says all those things involve torment. But when we are walking in this perfect love, it casts out such fear continually. I say to be cast out of your life continually. In the name of Jesus. And verse 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. This is why the Bible says husband love your wives. I always say to every husband in every marriage that if you love your wife what you do is you are in obedience to scripture and the same way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, it automatically transforms the wife ultimately to love you back. That's why there is no emphasis on wife loving your husband what is a wife required to do? Just submit to that love. And don't ask me who should do the one first. Because that's where the problem is. They say, I will submit if he loves. And the other one say, I will love if, if she submits. Then you, you miss the point. Just simply love, just simply submit. As they meet together, the love sparks. The relationship is consummated. It is built stronger. We love him first. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. If every man on this planet can catch this revelation, there will be no more divorce anywhere. No more divorce anywhere. When that love is unconditional, look at it. There is nothing you can do about it. It's unconditional. He laid down his life. That's the peak of it. It automatically commands. That's why we are here every Sunday. Because he first loved us. That's why some people came here. A brother took the, the vacuum cleaner on. You need to see this place after Sunday last week. It looked like a jungle. <laughs> Where we did our stuff and left this place. But just one person on, 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 on during the week took out his own time and came here and vacuumed and vacuumed. And people still came, I'm sure, yesterday to also clean up. What am I trying to say? That is because he first loved us. So we demonstrate our love for him because he first loved us. And as we do that, the perfect love that he has given us, we continue to cast out every fear Amen. in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to quickly say these things as I close. Romans 8 28, where we have got this from, to verse 30. He says, And we know that all things work together for good. To those who do what? Can you see the love of God now? Can you see the condition? Many times all of us say, oh, all things work together for my good. But we need to understand that it is to those who love God, not to those who God loves. Because God loves everyone. But when you are also a recipient and a reciprocant or reciprocating that love to him, you cause all things to work together for your good. And then you are called according to his purpose. Praise the Lord. Verse 29 says, let's read it together. This is our key scripture for the next four weeks. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. Verse 30 says, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, These he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. I want you to go and memorize these three verses very well, if you haven't yet. Especially verse 29, for the next four weeks, we will stay a long time in verse 29. And on our victory prayer night, we will be looking at verse 30 in big details. The Bible says, them whom he predestined, at the end of the day, he glorified. Hallelujah. That is why it will be our covenant night of glory. In the name of Jesus, your life will be glorified. Your life will be beautified in the name of Jesus. I want you to know that all things work together for your good as a lover of God. Great servant of God, I like listening to him a lot because he's one of the wisest men, I believe, on, on the planet. Mike Murdoch, he said something. He said that the, the, there, are, there is always a place for friends and a place for enemies. He said enemies will always create comfort around you. Sorry, friends would always create comfort around you, but enemies will always inspire change. Enemies attack you left, right, and center. They make you change something somehow. Either it changes your prayer life, or it changes your ability to be patient. Something must change about you, and that is why God allows all things to work together for your good. If you have only people comforting you, comforting you every time, you will not make progress. You know, if you did not take any exam, you will still be in primary school. Because that is a comfortable place to be. (laughs) But every exam was provoking you to move to the next level. And to move to the next level. And to move to the next level. Hallelujah. And I want us to understand. Everything works together. Say it with me. I believe that all things work together for my good and moving forward. By the special grace of God that we continue to be your portion. Because you are a lover of God, all things will continue to work together for good for you. In the name of Jesus. Never be afraid of those who oppose you. Many times opposition is allowed by God to push you further. I have said to you many times when God opened my eyes to see what he was speaking in Habakkuk chapter 2. When he said that write the vision, make it plain upon tables that he may run that reads it. And one day he opened my eyes to see that the running there has always been seen as people running with you. He said people will run in four different ways. There are some people who will run to you, and then there are people who will run with you. He said, but you must never forget that there are people who will run away from you. Anytime you share your vision, you declare what God wants to do, it is natural that there are people who will run away from you. It's all working together for good. I say it's working together for good. In the name of Jesus, I pray that that person will not be your spouse, in Jesus' name. If your spouse is trying to run, say, honey, come sit down and understand, because we are together. Amen. Amen. But the fourth group of people is the one we don't usually like, the people who run against us. I don't have time to teach every one of these. I have examples in scripture. I can quickly tell you. People who run with David, like Jonathan, preserved his life. They ran to him. That 400 men ran to him and helped him to take territories. They ran to him when God gave him a vision to be anointed to become king. They ran to him. They were not the finest of people, but they ran to him. Hallelujah. And he became their captain. The captain of the frustrated. (laughs) But at the end, they became mighty men. Hallelujah. Jonathan ran with him. Otherwise, Saul would have made David dead meat. David would have been killed before he got to the throne. Very easily. But somebody had to keep running with him to preserve him for the throne. Yeah. Hallelujah. And then in the, the Bible makes us to understand that there were people in the days of Nehemiah who actually ran against him in the places of Sambalat and Tobias. When Nehemiah was putting the wall together and building it, they looked at him and they said, what are you building? A fox will go on this and crumble it. And Nehemiah had to go back to his God. And say "Say what you like. My paraphrase. But Nehemiah 2.20. He said for my God will prosper us. He became an intercessor for his work. Because of those who were running against him. All things. Say with me. All things. Will keep working together. For my good. I'll keep moving forward. As you love the Lord. It will keep happening for you that way. In the name of Jesus. Lot ran away from Abraham. Genesis chapter 13. After Lot departed from Abraham, the Bible says, Now God said to Abraham, Look as far as you can see. So, everyone is scriptural. If there is a need for a departure of a lot in your life, whatever that lot is, I decree their departure now. In the name of Jesus. Everyone, rise to your feet. Everyone.